What's going on, people? It's your boy, Kalechi, back with another episode of the Ramblin' Mind Podcast. How are each and every single one of y'all doing today? I hope y'all are doing well. I hope y'all are staying safe. I hope y'all are still washing your hands, taking care of yourselves, staying away from people because the coronavirus is still real and we still need to take care of ourselves out here. But in today's episode, I am so excited. I am so excited about what I'm about to bring to y'all today. I told y'all, I kind of gave you guys a teaser about this, that we have a massive, awesome guest coming on the show to help us understand a little bit more about the whole Bitcoin, Ethereum. Some of y'all don't even know about what those words are or if those even mean anything to you, but we're going to talk about the cryptocurrency space. Today, I have an awesome guest. Oh, my bad. Today, I have an awesome guest. His name is Jimmy Song. And just to give you all a quick background before I allow him to introduce himself, just to know how awesome our guest is, so y'all know to put respect with his name when you mention his name. Previously, he was a software uh, developer in a number of different industries. And then shortly after that, he joined a cryptocurrency finance company in Monetas. I think it's called Monetas. And he uh, later joined Armory Technologies, which is an open source Bitcoin wallet management developer development platform. And then he then later became the principal architect for Paxos, a New York-based financial institution and stablecoin issuer. And he later joined Blockchain Capital, a company which is focused on funding projects based on blockchain technology. As a Bitcoin fellow, some of y'all are like, what do these words even mean? Don't worry, we'll talk about this as we go ahead. He has published a book called Programming Bitcoin, a book that is aimed to teach readers the basics of Bitcoin. In addition to this, he also runs a for-profit company called Programming Bitcoin or Programming Blockchain that teaches students around the globe on different techniques to develop Bitcoin. As a matter of fact, he has been called one of the top 100 most influential people in the cryptocurrency space. That's along people like Jack Dorsey, who is the CEO of Twitter, in case y'all forgot, and Square CEO, uh, Dave, uh, uh, CEO of Twitter and Square, and also the CEO of PayPal, David Marcus. And so he's one of the biggest names in the cryptocurrency game, especially with Bitcoin. So I just want to introduce our guest, Jimmy Song, to everybody. Y'all should be clapping right now in case y'all aren't doing that. Y'all should be <laughs> applauding, clapping, because we have a massive, massive guest. Thank you so much for joining the game, Jimmy. Uh, thank, thanks for that introduction. I love your energy. I love how how uh, excited you are about this. As, uh, as we all know, Bitcoin is kind of going crazy, so there's a lot of interest around this topic, and uh, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, it, it'll be a fun conversation to talk about Bitcoin from its uh, basics and, uh, you know, talk about some of the other stuff that's going on and uh, maybe, you know, provide a little clarity to everybody that's uh, that's wondering, what, what the heck is this stuff? And yeah. why do I need to care about it? Yeah, definitely. That's one of the things that I really uh, want to give my audience more of an understanding on because we have a lot of different information mm -hmm. out there. Some might not be very clear. Some might be completely wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to make sure that I was getting somebody who could speak about this from a point of power, from from an intelligence standpoint, and not just like, oh, I read something on the internet type of thing. So <laughs> definitely appreciate you being on the show. But before we get into this, I would like you to introduce yourself to the audience without saying anything about cryptocurrency or anything about software development. So who are you outside of those two things? Well, I, uh, I'm a 
44 year old uh, Korean guy, Korean American. I, I immigrated from Korea when I was eight years old. You know, I'm an immigrant. Um, I, Shout I've out to been, all the immigrants uh, out there, because I'm an yeah. I, I, too. Uh, right, right after college, I, uh, I I worked at various startups for uh, you know most of my adult life uh, in one one way or another, and uh, you know very familiar with programming. I know you said I I shouldn't use that word, but you know <laughs> like developing and uh you know uh making money i guess uh and I, i've been doing that for a long time a couple of the companies that i worked for ended up going public while i was there so nice. you know there, there was a there's a little bit of payoff there uh but 2011 was uh was when i heard about this uh you know interesting currency uh that i you know that kind of blew my mind honestly uh and it's it's been almost 10 years right 2011 uh, which yeah. i can't i can't even believe uh but uh since then that that's been my life is uh is you know learning about money teaching others about uh you know money and what it means and uh everything else uh yeah i i mean other things ab uh, about me i'm a i'm a christian and uh what i i just um you know, I, uh, you mentioned the first book I wrote, Programming Bitcoin, but yeah. I, I have two other books uh, that I co-wrote. Uh, uh, one of them is called The Little Bitcoin Book, which I co-wrote with eight other people. And the new book is uh, Thank God for Bitcoin, which I'm showing right here. And, uh, and basically, this is a, this is a book uh, that makes the argument for Bitcoin from a moral perspective. And it's essentially uh, a, an argument that takes sort of like the Christian worldview and says, hey, you know what? We really need to think about what our money is and, uh, and you know, give a good reason for why Bitcoin is such a necessity. And, you know, uh, and that involves a lot of other things. So happy to talk about all of that. That is awesome. I, we'll dive more into that because we, I'm also a Christian and it's one of the reasons uh that i put this show together is to get people to think about money in a slightly different way from the usual way that money has kind of been thought about so definitely appreciate that and we'll be diving a little bit more into it but i want to start off with an interesting so i was listening to different podcasts that you were on and different um interviews that you've had one of the things that i saw you say or rather i saw you make a bet with somebody no, named joseph lupin who says that Ethereum is the future and you said Bitcoin is the future. So my question is one, what exactly is the cost of those bets right now? And then two, based on the explosion of Bitcoin, I think it was like six Bitcoin on, or 16 Bitcoin on your part and 600 Ethereum on his part, I think maybe. And then also why, and then we can talk about why you are so bullish on the Bitcoin and then on the cryptocurrency space in general. Yeah, so um, I don't remember exactly how much it was. Um, the 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 dirty story about this bet is that Joe is a coward, <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to just <laughs> say it straight up. So, so the the crazy thing is, uh, this uh, the the bet occurred because I was on at a conference, uh, Consensus 2018. So it was May of 2018, and um, you know it's the biggest sort of like crypto conference in the world, right? So everybody comes, like yeah. thousands of people or whatever. And I was on stage with him. And um, and if you know anything about these conferences, especially in that era, 2018, it was like, it was crazy scammy, right? Like you, <laughs> you had all of these people like going up on stage and they, they would pay to speak and all this other stuff so they could shield their own product. Yeah. And, 
And like, it, it was like hour after hour of that and consensus made bank, of course, because they're, you know, they're getting paid both by the attendees, like a mm -hmm. couple thousand dollars each, and by the people that people are, who are quote, sponsoring their conferences. So I, they, they made tremendous amounts of money off of that. Um, and it's like around four or five in the afternoon. And I get, I get put on a panel with him, uh, with, with Joe Lubin and Amber Balde. Now, um, I, I don't know if you know who those people are, but Joe Lubin is the CEO of Consensus, uh, which is, and he was like one of the early adopters of Ethereum. And he's been super bullish Ethereum the entire time. Rumor has it he, at the time he had about a thousand employees at Consensus. And uh, he was, uh, he was, um, paying them in Ethereum um, at the end of every month, and he wouldn't he wouldn't pay them in anything else. Like that 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 was how involved he was. Anyway, that during that uh, that stage, Amber was uh, you know she was uh, promoting her new startup, which was something called Clover, um, and she gave like uh, it, it, the panel was supposed to be like thirty five minutes or something like that, but she wanted fifteen minutes so she could shill her startup, of course. And she did. She she talked for 15 minutes about something about public blockchains and private blockchains and how they need to interoperate and how her new startup was going to be the key to doing all of that. And at the end, of course, she she she's like, so guys, what do you think of my new startup? And Joe goes, well, you know, it's definitely necessary. I think it's great, blah, blah, blah. And right after that, I, I, I was I, I was just like, you know what? That was a slide deck of entirely just buzzwords. I don't know what your company does. I have no idea. And you could, you could feel the energy in the room, right? Like kind of like everyone was like about to fall asleep and they, they're like, what? what Did he just on? say that? Did he really Did just, he say, just that? Really say Seriously, like they, the entire room and then like there, you could you could feel an energy. And I just kept going. I was just like, you know, I, I and you know, you, you might be, you might be able to prove me wrong and I hope you do, but like I, I've seen so many decks like this that are just completely meaningless. It, it doesn't mean anything. And, uh, and and you know, like at this point, I think you're just playing kind of like buzzword bingo. Like okay, right? Like block whatever rings uh, in the head. Yeah, public. Uh, yeah, private. <laughs> it just, just just like whatever. So that sort of like set set the entire panel. And towards the end, like, uh, you know, it was obviously kind of antagonistic, but also really, really popular, right? Like everyone on the internet was talking about it for like the next few days. Uh, <laughs> so toward, towards the end, uh, you know, like they, we were kind of debating back and forth. It was basically me against the both of them. Uh, so Amber sort of asked like, okay, five years from now, where do you think blockchain technology will be? And Joe got to answer first, so he he was like kind of sarcastic or whatever. He said, "Well, five years from now, we're gonna we're gonna see you know everything built on blockchain. This this is in 2018, so this is 2023 or a couple of years from now." No. And so uh, and afterwards, uh, you know, I got to answer, and I was like, "You know what? Five years ago, this 2013, there were all of these quote unquote blockchain projects. None of them have come to anything." So. <laughs> I don't see why I, I why the next five years will be anything different because I know the technology and I know it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and, uh, and and basically, as soon as I said that, he he got up and said, "If we can find some crisp criteria, I will bet you any amount of money that you are wrong." So right there, we shook hands and everything, right? So uh, he's like, and, and he tweeted right afterwards, "What well, that was fun, Jimmy. Let's keep in touch." So. I email him for like the next uh, next month, trying trying to work out the details, 
And it, seriously, it was like this every single time. I would email him and then he would take like six days to respond and it would be one of his henchmen or something like that. Um, and, and each time it's just like, okay, I want these terms, I want these terms, and, and his henchmen will come back or whatever. Eventually, I got Laura Shin, who's like a you know major podcasting person that knows both me and Joe, to have both of us on so we can finalize the terms of the bet. So we're both on the podcast, we're talking about the bet, and that might have been the one that you listened to, I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, and we're, we're, we're talking about it, and then towards the end, uh, both Laura and I think that we're supposed to finalize the bet on that show. And of course, at the end, Joe weasels out and he's like, you know, I need to go back to my people oh. and blah, blah, blah. And we don't. So I, I keep emailing him and he doesn't respond, right? So Consensus 2019 comes around and this time I'm, I'm there, he's there. Yep. And they have this thing called Consensus Live where, uh, you know, they, they just sort of like interview people. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Like, uh, you know, this bet still hasn't resolved. You, if if uh, Joe Lubin will agree to come on, we'll, we'll, we'll hash it out right there. So again, we go on. It's like, they had Ron Paul on this thing, right? Like, so it should, like, wow. th- that should be by far like the the most popular one. Not even close. The 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 live stream with me and Joe like beat everything by ten x. Everybody wanted to know. Everybody wanted to know. So we're we're talking, and uh, we we hash out the terms of the bed and everything. We shake on it. He makes me hug him and everything else. Nothing. He uh, like supposed terms or whatever. There's some ambiguities. I'm trying to get him clarified. Doesn't doesn't do anything with it. And like basically, he's been a coward the entire time. And and the thing is, like, this is something that uh, that people told me like almost right after I made the bet is you know Jimmy he's he's not gonna complete the bet with me. I'm like what uh, 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 well, if he actually wanted to complete the bet he'd be like on you like uh, like all day right on day. rice or something right like he he, <laughs> he would he would want to get the terms of the bet absolutely clear because if he was convinced that he was right like this is what he would do if, if it's a sucker's bet on his side if he thinks it's a sucker's bet he would do everything in his power to, to the only reason it. he even said that was so that he would save face and that he wouldn't look foolish. Um, and I've had so many people like from Consensus, the company, tell me I'm so embarrassed. I can't believe he did that and he's not completing the bet with you. Um, he, he got written up in uh, several different publications, including the New Yorker, about this very bet. So I know he's feeling embarrassed about it, but you know, he, he just he trying just to sort distance of like, himself um, as much as possible from it. Yeah, so that's the story behind the bet. But why do I think it's not going to happen? Well, I mean, everything that I've seen about sort of like crypto, other than Bitcoin, is almost entirely based on speculation. And yep. there's no actual users. Yep. So um, so the actual reason, that, and this is pretty much the you know argument that I gave on stage uh, three, you know, in, at Consensus three years ago, is you, know, you, you look at any of these projects, and almost all of the all of the price increase is due to speculation uh, of people sort of like FOMOing in and out or whatever. Uh, there's actually very few users of any of these systems. So you look at something like, um, you know, uh, you know the gambling one. I can't remember for some reason, but there there there's a there's a token that's for gambling or something like that, right? And uh, they get like 40 daily active users, which is insanely low, right? If you if your podcast got 40 listens a day like that would not be considered like an amazing podcast like if like and this is what he's pointing to as like something that would potentially disrupt facebook 
You know how many daily active users Facebook gets? One billion. A billion okay? a like, day. It's like a billion. It's creeping is, up closer to be like two billion a day. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is like six orders of magnitude, like off uh, from 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 what he's saying. So like the terms of the bet I came up with are like absolutely reasonable, right? Like ten thousand daily active users, hundred thousand monthly active users. That is like sort of like the base baseline. Uh, like that, if you can get that on an app, that's considered like a mid-tier app on an Android or iPhone or something like that. Yeah, ten thousand, hundred thousand. That's and that's like the bare minimum. If you, like something like Instagram is going to get way more than that, WhatsApp or yep. uh, Signal, Telegram, any any of these apps any that are app. like. Yeah, that that are actually popular, they get way more than a million. Ten thousand a day is not asking for money. Yet, you know, he he's afraid to do it because he know he knows the truth, which is that most of these things, in fact, all of these things other than Bitcoin are like scammy, right? Expensive. Like they don't have actual users, and they they are vehicles to sort of like perpetuate uh, people putting more money in for the founders who issued the coin. It's it's people printing their own money and. Uh, and you know that that's the scam he wants to perpetuate yeah yeah oh well i just wanted to get the backstory on it because it was actually the 2019 um consensus interview that you had that i saw and i was like what exactly happened here like i wasn't (laughs) sure what was going on but yeah thank you for that um but then let's take a step back and just can you explain to everybody and myself again what bitcoin (laughs) actually is and what the it plays a role as as a cryptocurrency or even what the cryptocurrency generally is yeah so um I, a lot of people ask this question and the question that i almost ask back is what do you think money is a trade it's just a value of wealth that we place on it based on standards basically yeah yeah so i you you have uh, a pretty good definition but like what is the u.s dollar did whatever the government says it, it is at that point <laughs> exactly in time. Yeah, this is what you would call fiat currency, and fiat in Latin means "let there be," right? Like yeah. uh, if you if you read like the Latin Vulgate, which is the Latin version of the Bible, like the uh, Genesis one one would say fiat, uh, you know, lux or something like that. Let there be light, right? right? Like let there be. It's some, yeah. it's something that somebody creates out of nothing. Um, so fiat money is what the U.S. dollar is. It's it, it's actually it, it's controlled by the Federal Reserve. And this is an institution that has a government mandate, but is not actually a government organization. It's actually owned by a bunch of banks and everything else. They get to print whatever money they want and they get to do whatever they want. And this is what's called an independent central bank. And they they get to issue currency. And most of the time they do it so that they can fund the government. So the government has a budget, right? Like yeah. uh, two and a half trillion or four trillion or whatever it is, whatever the number happens to be in that year. And of course their tax receipts are way less than that, right? Like if it's four trillion for the budget, it's like two and a half trillion. It's like, okay, what, what, how, where do they get the one and a half billion? Well, they issue debt, which they call treasury bonds. And, yep. uh, and the market will sometimes buy a lot of it. But if there's anything left over, if they have two and a half tr- trillion and four trillion, so they have to issue a one and a half trillion in debt, and say the market buys half a trillion uh, worth of treasury bonds, where where do they get the other get trillion dollars? Print. They get that from the Federal Reserve. They will print a trillion dollars and put the treasury on their balance sheet. So Jerome Powell and an extra trillion it. dollars comes into existence. Um, 
and th this is this is what 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 happens uh, in every country. Uh, the IMF makes sure that there is an independent central bank in almost every economy, any emerging yeah. economy. This is one of the conditions that they set uh, in order to get loans. So you have this cabal of uh, central bankers that essentially get to control money, money, right? Yeah. And they they get to issue money or whatever, and that is what money is today. Now that. If that sounds kind of evil and nefarious and everything, it's because it is. <laughs> it's horrible, and uh, and they they uh, take a concerted amount. It takes a concerted uh, amount of effort on the part of the powers that be to keep us ignorant of it. Uh, but that th this is exactly what they do, and I think it was Henry Ford that said, "If the people of this country knew how the monetary system worked, there would be riots tomorrow, and for good reason because they." There's literally a very small group of people that control the money printing. Um, now, all right, so that that was sort of like a like an explanation of what the current monetary system is, right? Like, um, and it, like until you really fully understand that, it like Bitcoin won't make sense because you don't know what problem it's solving. Essentially, the problem that it's solving is that. There's a central group, a small group that gets to control the money, and when they control the printing of money, what they do is they control the entire economy. They can print money whenever they want. They can buy whatever securities they want. They can issue, uh, you know, they can bribe whoever they want. They they can do what it, like they can more or less, uh, quote unquote, manage the economy, which really means manage people, which is really kind of like a form of financial slavery or whatever. But that's what they get to do. What is Bitcoin? Well, Bitcoin is a money that doesn't have that property, right? Like some central entity that gets to issue things, that um, that uh, gets to control things, uh, uh, and it, it's got a monetary policy that is fixed in code. No human controls it. It's already it from its inception. It's been the same ever since, and that's the point, right? Like it's it's not controlled by anybody and as a result of that you have this uh store of value you you have a way to store value that is not under the control of the central bank of the money printers of the people in control of the current system does that make sense yeah yeah i mean the question i would have with that would be isn't that the system that we had prior to this with gold essentially where it was a system where we're based off of gold but wasn't part of the problem was the fact that gold was limiting how much expansion we could possibly have in our system whenever we needed it, which is why we had to go away from having a system held down by a solid utility item like gold or something like that. So I would say, yeah. where is it different versus where gold was in the past? Yeah. So um, here's the thing about gold uh, that that should be obvious, but you know, like it, it's hard to think out all of the ramifications. Um, gold is actually physical, right? So, um, and that uh, has tremendous consequences. So, uh, in the in the way olden days, what, what they used to do was actually like trade with pieces of bullion or pieces of silver or whatever. Yeah. Um, and every time you went to the market, you would have to actually weigh out the pieces and see how much it weighed. And then you would negotiate and get whatever it is that you wanted from the other person in order to, uh, you know, fulfill the trade, right? Like, um, you know, you I, I want some bread or something like that. You would measure a certain amount of silver or copper yeah. or gold and then, and, and then get it back. Uh, the problem there is that 
I mean, copper, gold is not that divisible, right? Like in order to, uh, right now, uh, you know, an ounce of gold is $1,800. So like, you know, to get like a bread, wonder bread that's like two bucks, it's it's gonna be one one thousandth of an ounce. Like who's gonna have anything like that? So uh, this is where sort of like coins came in. And this was um, essentially like, some sovereign, usually like a king or something like that, that would figure out, okay, well, you know, this this coin is always going to weigh this much and they stamped it as sort of like, okay, this is how you can know that this coin weighs this much because, you know, you can trust me who stamped it as as the as the one that actually certifies this. Yeah. Now that that worked really well, the Lydian kings of uh, of like 700 BC, they were the first ones to do it, and you might know some of these Lydian kings, King Midas, for example. Yeah, is like from mythology, just fabulously wealthy. Um, Gyges and Croces uh, are, are are two other ones, but they were all known for their wealth, and it kind of shows that you know when you accelerate trade, when you make trade more convenient, you know the 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 people that make it convenient get rewarded richly, and they did. Yeah. Uh, now the problem with that is that once you once you have, you know, a trusted authority that stamps these things, well, they can cheat too, right? And yep. that, this is exactly what the Romans did. Uh, and you know, the Romans took this innovation from the Lydians, and they they were able to do that with uh, the denarius, which were, which in biblical times was roughly worth one day's labor of wages. Now they they did this, and they had the denarius was pretty good for a few hundred years. Uh, but you know, one emperor, I think it was Nero, started debasing it just a little bit. And debasing it is saying, okay, I'm gonna say this coin has, you know, four grams of silver, but actually it's gonna have like 3.5, and I'm going to debase it with just a little bit of nickel or some some other metal. So the coin itself is not telling the truth anymore, and only the person that stamps it gets to sort of like uh, get in on that grip. Uh, now that that happened uh, over the next few hundred years, it got to the point where it got debased and debased and debased. By like 300 AD, Claudius II, like the the coins in Rome literally just had a coating of silver. It was it was like you know silver covered, and it, it didn't have any <laughs> silver in it at, at, at all because you know you debase it enough, and like people stopped kind of using it because it was like okay, what why am I using this because it's not worth anything? It's actually yeah. not that. Rare. And the and the government, uh, the Roman government, can print as much as they want because it's it's kind of a cheap metal. Um, so that that ultimately kind of led to the fall of the Roman Empire because they couldn't pay their soldiers. The soldiers yeah. didn't want this money and all, all this other stuff. So that that's all to say that like gold, what uh, you know? Uh, all right. So the original question was, <laughs> you know, how is this different with that gold? Yeah. Right. Uh, so. In that way, like because it's physical, the reason why it goes to the system is because there's a lot of verification that needs to take place. And usually, what ends up happening is there's one trusted authority um, uh, that that certifies that this is backed by something. So the U.S. dollar, uh, you know, from 1870 to like 1910 or something like that, um, used to be able to be converted uh, for gold. So yeah. if you gave uh, $20.67 to a bank um, and asked to have it converted to gold, they would have to give you one ounce of gold. And yeah. that's, that's how much it was, $20.67. Um, 
Now, at a certain point, the government needed, uh, wanted to spend more money than it had. And yep. almost always that comes as a result of war, right? Like wars are really expensive, especially wars in the 20th century. Um, and every government in Europe, uh, actually, during World War One, was under the quote-unquote gold standard, but they started printing more. So what did they do? Well, they make it so that you can't go and convert your currency or gold real gold then. anymore. This is yeah. what they call suspending cuts of convertibility. And instead, they'll just print more of the paper currency that represents that gold. Um, and they they did this so that they could uh, you know fund, fund the war. Uh, otherwise, they would have to tax the populace, in which case it would be massively unpopular. And yeah. the last thing any government wants to do is to uh, you know get out of power because the people revolt or something like that. But that's what they were faced with. Um, and so uh, World War One, which uh, you know started out as uh, Serbian separatists assassinating the Archduke Ferdinand of Austria, yeah. the heir to the Austro-Hungarian so, Empire ended up becoming this massive thing because nobody wanted to back down. They could just pour more money into it <laughs> by printing more of more it, right? Money. And, uh, and you know, when the, when the you know, Piper came to pay, they, they just said, well, no, you're not allowed to uh, convert these to gold. So people started fleeing and, and things like that. It eventually led to World War II where the same thing happened. Um, and that, that, that's the weakness of gold, is its physicality. The fact that you, have to ver you need to verify, you need to trust someone, it gives them a way to control the money. And that's essentially what, what happened for pretty much all of history, like all the way back uh, to the Roman Empire and so on. Uh, you know, everybody, uh, if, if you can dip your hand in the cookie jar, it's only a matter of time and before, before people start dipping their hand into the cookie yeah. jar. And this is the difference between gold and Bitcoin, is that no one can dip their hand into the cookie jar without everyone else seeing it and saying, all right, we're cutting that person off and, uh, and continuing on as normal. And that's, that's the key. That, that's the real uh, secret sauce to Bitcoin and why it's such an amazing system uh, compared to gold. So I, I guess my question is, isn't the whole point of Bitcoin the anonymity with it or I guess that's more blockchain is just how your transactions are anonymous. And so how would they be able to know if somebody dipped their hands in the coin to mess with it or to jack it up? Yeah. Yeah. So th those are two separate things. So this is um, so it's not exactly anonymous. We can get into that in a little bit. Okay. Uh, but basically, no one knows who you are just by looking at the blockchain, right? You, okay. uh, you, what you have is uh, essentially an address or something like that. And no one knows that it's your mailbox, essentially. But they could send to it or they can receive from it or whatever. Now, that, that's, how, uh, that's how the system works. But the hand in the cookie jar is, okay, can anyone mess with the complete supply of Bitcoin? And the supply of Bitcoin is always 21 million. Yeah. Now, if, if, if I, I like, it's still possible to get robbed by a specific person, right? Yeah. Uh, if they know your private key, or you know, if, if you if you held a gold bullion in your closet or something like that, somebody can still go in and steal. Yep. But the full supply, uh, and they can obviously do that with your dollars as well. But uh, you know, you your dollars can still, in a sense, be stolen. Yep. by the Federal Reserve if they just print like more you know, money. 300 trillion dollars right now that's way more than all of the US dollars that exist yeah you're you know the thousand dollars that you have in your under your bed or something like that is now worth way less because you know there, there's way more money out there so yeah 
that that part is the is the part where no one can dip their hand in the cookie jar. And believe me, every central bank is dipping their hand into the cookie jar and has been like sort of like almost blatantly for yeah. the last 50 years. That's true. And I, I guess what happens when we hit that cap of I know the way Bitcoin works is people mine for the coins, but then we get closer. What is it? 21 million coins are available. And then as we get closer, it gets harder and harder and harder to mine for the Bitcoin. So what happens when we hit that cap of 21 million? Or how long do you think it, it will take for us to get to that point of hitting that cap of 21 million? Because I think right now we're at, what, 8 million coins, I think? Maybe? No, no, no. It's, uh, it's 18 and a half. So we're, and we're, a half. We're, 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 we're pretty close to, to the end in that sense. So, um, so let me just describe mining in case your audience yeah. is not familiar with it. All right. So uh, with gold, um, you know, if you're, if you're mining for gold, what you do is you dig up ground um, and you get a lot of dirt and rock out of that ground and then you <laughs> process it and then you, uh, you find gold in it. Um, I'm told that in a commercial mining operation for gold, um, you need to process around 20 to 30 tons of dirt and rock to find one ounce of gold. So that that's Ooh. how much dirt you have to dig up in order to do it. Um, and you know, uh, I, I, I could try to like dig for gold in my backyard, right? If I, <laughs> if I own my house, but that's, that's not really going to get me much because unless I live over a gold mine, first of all, um, it's not likely to succeed. Yeah. And even if I did, like, still I, gonna be like super to, hard. to get 20 or 30 tons is going to take a really long time. So, uh, so it's not going to be very efficient, which is why, you know, gold miners are experts at that sort of thing. So they get lots of equipment and, you know, chemicals and things like that to make the process much faster and easier. But that, that, that's how commercial gold mining works. Um, Bitcoin mining is kind of similar, but instead of dirt and rock, what you have to process are a lot of different numbers. So you, you do one number, two number, um, and you know just to give you uh, the idea of scale on this sort of thing, an Antminer S19, this is a, a, a commercial mining machine that, uh, that comes out of uh, Bitmain from, uh, from China. Um, one of those things does something around 18 terahashes per second. So that is a, a hash you can think of as a number. So terahashes, trillion hashes, so 18 trillion numbers per second. And this is just one machine. So, uh, so they, they process lots and lots of them. And uh, every 10 minutes, one satisfying number gets found. That's roughly how, how that works. And as a reward, you get something called, uh, you, you get two things as a miner. You get uh, mining reward and the fees. Um, and those are two separate things and it's very important to know what both of them are. So the mining reward is how Bitcoin comes into existence. So at the okay. very beginning, uh, you know, Satoshi uh, made it so that it was 50 Bitcoins per block. Um, and then four years later, it became 25 Bitcoins per block. Four yeah. years later, it became 12 and a half Bitcoins per block. And then currently it's 6.25 bitcoins per block. And if you if you notice, it's it's exactly that uh, each time is exactly the half of the previous one. And if you are sort of familiar with uh, infinite sums and in algebra, it ends up summing to 100 basically. Um, and uh, the, each uh, every four year period is 210,000 blocks. So 210,000 times 100 is 21 million. That's how you get 21 million. So okay. 
point, uh, 210,000 uh, times 10 minutes is like 2, 2 2.1 million minutes. That's almost exactly four years, which is why I say four years. And that's sort of the having schedule or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, uh, math aside, that that's essentially um, how much the miner gets rewarded for finding that block or for finding that number that satisfies um, this particular thing. And once once they do, they get rewarded with uh, with that uh, currently six point two five bitcoins, which uh, at forty thousand dollars is like a quarter million dollars, right? Yeah. So they get they get quarter million dollars, uh, but again, you know, this is a lot of money that they're spending in order for these machines and everything else to yeah. go find it. And they they don't find every block; they find like every you know thousand block or something like that. So they, um, so they they get that. And, uh, and then they also get fees. Um, and these are transactions. So if I'm sending you Bitcoin, um, I would have to include within it some, uh, some fee for the miner so that the miner is incentivized to, to keep include mining. it into sort of the Bitcoin ledger. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and when they do, they get, they, they get to keep that fee. Um, and the fees right now, I, I don't know exactly the numbers, but it's, uh, it's like over a, one Bitcoin per block. So they're, they're getting paid a decent amount, right? Like they're, they're getting paid forty fifty thousand dollars yeah. Eventually the fees will be greater than the minor reward. And I think that'll happen in about two more halvings or eight, eight years eight from years. now, roughly. Um, it, it'll be like 1.6 or something like that. Uh, and at that point, you know, fees will be more and that's what they will um, live on. So when, when you're asking, okay, after 21 mil, all 21 million Bitcoin have been mined, how are the miners going to make a living or what incentivizes them to keep mining? It's the fees. It's, uh, you know, it, it's whatever is on chain. They get to keep as part of, uh, uh, of uh, you know, including uh, in, in the blockchain, the service that they're performing for the Bitcoin community is including these transactions and blocks they're getting paid for it and that will continue uh forever so that that's the idea okay so once the all the bitcoin is mined oh and just for everybody satoshi is the creator of bitcoin he started off he developed the program and helped everybody understand how to do it and all that good stuff uh but once all the 21 million um bitcoins are mined all that would be happening at that point is just transactions and the miners will facilitate ensuring that the blockchain is clear or facilitate the movement of the Bitcoin to be able to become like a transactory phase of money spending and all that. Yeah, I mean, that's been the case uh, for a while, right? Like that, that's been there. That's been one of their functions. But the other function is bringing uh, more Bitcoin more into Bitcoin. existence. Okay. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, that uh, we're, we're right around 18 and a half million. So we only have like two and a half million more Bitcoin to go. Yeah like for the rest of it and it doesn't end until 2140 so we got like more than 120 like we got like 120 years of bitcoin subsidies but it gets smaller and smaller, smaller and, smaller. and smaller as we go forward um but the fees are going to uh presumably at least in dollar terms will at least stay the same or increase probably um you know i mean like i didn't think it, we would be at 40,000 bitcoin right now but you know we are so that means that <laughs> Uh, fees are, you know, a substantial part of uh, minor revenue at this point. Yeah. So what exactly has fueled that this meteoric rise that we've seen in the last, I'll say, what, 30 days, really? I mean, mm -hmm. last year, Bitcoin went was doing was steadily climbing. But then it seems like in the last, what, maybe a month to two months is just all of a sudden taken off out of the uh, out of the atmosphere. to unbelievable mm -hmm. heights that we did not expect to see. 
Uh, so what exactly do you think fueled that rise in Bitcoin price? Yeah, so there's a, there's a really good theory by um, uh, Plan B on Twitter uh, called the stock to flow model. And if you're not familiar with it, it's a, it's a little bit technical. It goes into co-integration and all that stuff. But basically his, his, uh, his thesis is that after every halving, there, there's a run up in price because there's less supply, right? Um, yeah. Miners are not bringing that many new Bitcoins. Uh, it used yeah. to be, tw- uh, so the halving happened last May. So it, last year, it, like for the first five months, it was 12 and a half Bitcoins every block, every 10 minutes. Uh, but then all of a sudden that supply got cut in half and that needs to sort of make its way through the Bitcoin ecosystem. But because there's less of a supply, the demand starts going up yep. and uh, the demand is even if it stays the same price is going to go up because there's yep. less supply um, and that that seems to have happened uh, is that this has sort of worked its way through the system and it takes a few months kind of like if the federal reserve prints a lot of money it takes a while for it to get through the entire economy yep. it, it's it's very similar and um and, and you know I, I, I that that's definitely one part of it and the other part of it is kind of like all of the money printing that's going on we we literally had uh you know like six trillion dollars or yep. something some insane i think that m2 money stock uh, of the u.s dollar went from something like 15 and a half trillion to 19 and a half trillion yeah which is an increase of like 25 per, or 35 percent or some some ridiculous some right? crazy like that's, yeah yeah, that that's all U.S. dollars in existence increased by like thirty something percent. That's that's insane, uh, and that you know that that has to affect everything, and it has. Like you could see it in every stock. It's it's going crazy because mm-hmm. people don't want to hold dollars, right? If you're holding dollars, then you might not be able to buy anything anymore. Yep. So you're, you're you know people are putting. I don't know where to put it into. All right, let's just go buy companies I know. You know Amazon and Tesla, and, yep. you know Microsoft or whatever, and the, and all of that money is going there or into real estate. I hear real estate markets going yeah, crazy I, right now. They put it into gold or Bitcoin or whatever. So. There, there's definitely a component of people just don't feel safe in the dollar anymore um, because it, it's just such a terrible return and they're expecting some form of inflation we're, we're getting asset inflation right now believe me it'll it'll start trickling down to yeah. you know um, other things Probably. like the cost of maybe like uh, mid-tier consumer goods like uh, you know um, maybe like cars or, yeah I uh, saw a uh... I saw a report where it says that the average price of a car has gone from twenty five thousand to like twenty eight and a half thousand dollars. So we're starting to see that price kind of increase a little, little bit over time. Yeah. So it always starts with like the most expensive things, mm-hmm. uh, and and this is this is how inflation has always worked. So like like the most expensive stuff that I can think of that 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 goes up like that is like a pro sports team, right? Like just <laughs> like, like remember back in the eighties, like oh you know this person bought the Yankees for like fifteen million dollars. Now now it's getting... like you know a couple billion in order to not more. Get, get into the cup. Yeah, so I mean, th- those things have like gone up a hundred x. So th- yep. those are the most expensive, expensive things. things. Yeah. So uh, stocks and real estate and things like that are, you know, like that. That's another level. Yeah. And then like, uh, you know, the next most expensive stuff is maybe like college, um, yeah. you know, cars, things like that. Th- those are healthcare. You know, those things yeah. are, are going up pretty high. Um, and then the very last things that go up are stuff like 
milk and eggs at the grocery store or a pair of jeans or you know yeah uh, clothes the regular like items that. yeah and, but i mean those things are coming too right like those yeah. things have been increasing in price um in a sense like they've been subsidized uh by the government giving like these giant loans to you know the walmarts and amazons of the world so they keep the prices super low low <laughs> Yeah, this is what you would call bread and circuses, and this is what uh, the Romans, uh, Roman emperors used to do: is they would give out bread, and they would have like uh, you know these gladiator fights in these coliseums to keep the populace from rioting. And uh, and wow. this is a form uh, that uh, of doing that that the government does, which is subsidize these giant companies that provide these goods for really cheap. Never mind your health or your nutrition or your safety or any of that. Yeah, they that just stuff. The, 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 they just want to make sure that, you know, the masses aren't like out in the streets, like rioting or whatever. But of course, like if, if the last year has shown anything, it's that popular, you know, like the, the little people on either side of the you know spectrum are very angry and they know something is terribly wrong. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, knowing that like, you know, a lot of people are like, OK, um, something is happening. I need to put it into something safe. Bitcoin is becoming one of those safe things. Um, and that that that's a large part of what's happening is that this last year has been absolutely crazy. And, yep. you know, like, say what you will, whatever side of this political spectrum you're on, you know, something is just horribly wrong, right? Yep. Like, just something is wrong. Like, you know, you might blame it on them or us or whatever, you know, what, who cares, right? <laughs> you know, something is wrong. Yep. You need to be in someplace safe. Bitcoin is that place of safety. And a lot of people, especially the smart money, the people that are getting out in front, they know that it's Bitcoin. Yeah. So I guess speaking of the smart money, we saw a press release from JP Morgan that announced that they expect Bitcoin to get over $146,000 per coin. Is that real? I mean, with the last, the way it's been the last couple of days, it feels very realistic. But is that actually a realistic price point for one Bitcoin? To get to that point and then how does that also affect the the possibility of bitcoin becoming like a standard currency that people can use because one of the one of the arguments against bitcoin is the volatility with it which makes it extremely hard to be able to determine like oh it's worth this much for this person on this day it's extremely hard to determine that i mean the dollar fluctuates and other currencies mm -hmm. fluctuate but not as widely as Bitcoin tends to fluctuate almost on a daily basis. And so one question, first part of that is the 146, is that even possible? And then on the other part, is this gonna benefit or hamper the ability of Bitcoin to become a standard currency? All right, all right. So I'm gonna ask you a question first uh, and get your take on something. Yep. All right, so I got into Bitcoin in February of 2011. What do you think the price of Bitcoin was back then? I remember. It was like what, probably six thousand, maybe. Okay, oh. two thousand eleven, uh, February of two thousand eleven. You were thinking it was about. Oh 6, wait, no, 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 no! It wasn't six thousand. Probably like less than a dollar. Okay, it was it was one dollar, right? And at that point, I thought a hundred dollars was completely impossible. Two years later, it was a thousand dollars. So. This is, this is where Bitcoin like sort of operates on a really strange sort of like uh, scale. If you look at the market cap of Bitcoin, it's only like $700 billion. Yep. That's, less that, that's uh, less than a third of the market cap of Apple, for example. Yep. So um, if you think about it that way, you know, getting to the market cap of Apple is what, like uh, $120,000. 
Bitcoin, right? Like that, it's it's not that much. Uh, so like going from like one dollar to a hundred is in a you know like multiplier sense, not not different than a hundred to ten thousand. Uh, or you know like last year in March of last year, Bitcoin was at three thousand one hundred dollars. Right now it is forty thousand dollars. So it did eleven x or twelve thirteen x in you know. Nine months. nine months. Uh so it's entirely possible that it does 10x in the next nine months too. So in which case it would take it to four hundred thousand dollars. So it, it's it, like numbers uh sort of kind of get crazy. Now, your other question was about volatility and you know how can we use Bitcoin as money if it's uh if it's if it's so volatile. Mm-hmm. Now that question has embedded within it sort of a, a, a subtle assumption, which is for paying for something right like this is yeah. to go and you know buy a car or something like that now there there are solutions to those but i uh but i i want to sort of challenge that assumption a little bit because the main use case for money is actually storing value across time and not not for uh transacting or paying for something okay so uh, by that what i mean is you want the ability to make sure that you store the value that you've uh, you've earned through your labor or for services or goods that you created or whatever to last. Uh, and that is the key to what money's fun- real function is. Um, I mean, one of the other functions is to be able to trade it later and so on. But the ability to save is a critical component of it. And that's something that the dollar no longer really has. If you look at the dollar from, you know, you know even like 10 years ago, it's, uh, you know, it's diluted significantly. And, you know, the prices of like something like pro sports teams has gone astronomical, yeah. right? Uh, so you, you could tell that the dollar isn't worth as much as it used to be. So anyone that has any money, uh, you know, they, they spend a tremendous amount of time and energy into making sure that they keep the money that they have. This is yeah. what they call investing. And if you're like yeah. super rich, right? Like uh, Rockefellers or something, what, what you end up doing is you have something called a family office. And these are uh, people that you hire, entire office of people that you hire just to have them invest your money to make sure that it doesn't degrade over time. Because if they know that if they keep it in dollars, it's, it's going to degrade. Good. And, uh, and you know, their wealth is not going to be preserved. So they, they hire lots of people to do that. So the fact that uh, as an economy, you know, like, you know, you have family offices, you have investment professionals, you have all sorts of people like that are investing in things that they don't understand just so they can, you know, possibly keep up the money uh, that, that they've earned and so on. Uh, and of course, there's a fair bit of, you know, degenerate gambling in there as well. But you know, essentially, there's a lot of people that spend a tremendous amount of time trying to preserve their money, to store their value. This is where Bitcoin shines because it is way better than almost everything else in that store of value function. It's way better than the dollar because it doesn't degrade. It's way better than something like real estate because it's much harder to tax. Real estate. Yeah like it's very easy to tax because they know where you live Property. right like, yeah they, you could just say unless you pay us this money we're gonna take you out of the anymore. house yeah so they they, they kind of have you know they they can kind of force that uh plus it has like huge transaction costs right every time you sell a house there's like 
like, people you got to pay know, along the way. There's a lot of middlemen yeah, I mean, in the process. A ton of middlemen, and they, uh, and you know, like entire entire billionaires are made from like these real estate professionals yep. that have figured out how to be in the middle of these transactions. And then you, um, and then you have something like stock, which is really supposed to be like uh, you know investment in some future cash flows of a company or something like that. Yep. But it's turned into this giant like uh, game of okay, well we're we're you know it's not about the the uh, the cash flows or the revenue of the company anymore. It's about like how much other people sort of trust this Are company to, to keep its it. value and not like completely go stupid. Um, so that that is what what we're the situation we're in. Bitcoin is way more fungible than those, uh, and that just means that you know one unit of Bitcoin is as good as an, any other one. You know, try doing that with real estate. You know, corner lot is way better than the one like the next that's next door. Uh, you know, one stock is way different than another. You know, yep. even gold bars like some of them are ninety nine point nine nine percent pure. Other ones are ninety nine percent pure. Even hundred dollar bills, and this is this is kind of funny. Uh, you would think are exactly the same. Yep. You know, trading. Actually, in third world countries, a crisp one hundred dollar bill will trade at about a twenty percent premium to a crumpled so, one. And do you know want Do you want to know why? It looks better. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's basically it. Because people gift each other hundred dollar bills at weddings and stuff. And if you're gifting it to somebody, you want it to be nice and nice crisp and clean. clean. Uh, so, like, they, they'll, uh, you know, as <laughs> as one of like uh, the things that you bring uh, to a gift at a wedding is like a nice crisp hundred dollar bill, and they'll present it to the bride and groom, and that that'll be like their store of value. That's that's how crappy those stores of value are. Uh, if you think like the U.S. dollar sucks, I mean, go go to you know jakarta or you know like i'm Turkey from nigeria and i know yeah. that that the way that yeah, system yeah. is is bad it's extremely bad the way it just fluctuates and the price just keeps on making the the naira work less and less and less and that's a whole thing so yeah so i definitely yeah i mean and the, the people in nigeria love the dollar for that reason because <laughs> yep. it's like it's like yep. way better than the naira right yeah uh so th- this is the thing is that all of these um these other stores of value kind of suck and they they've purposely kind of made it that way if you understand some of the keynesian economic theory behind it all the idea is that you need to have a velocity of money you want money continuously circulating so based on that ideology they make it hard for you to park money anywhere uh but you know uh this is the one place where you can park it and not have anything to do with that other system. system. And that that's where it, it, it's become such a revelation for a lot of people. It's like, oh, wow, this, this is actually a hedge against the dollar. And this is a way in which I can preserve money uh, or preserve value over time. And that's what people are using it for. Now, at yeah. some point, it'll probably stabilize or the unit of account will become Bitcoin, in which case, all of the other sort of like transactions that you might think of, like buying coffee or, you know, groceries or a car or whatever, will become available on all of these other platforms. They just have to switch out the rails. Um, so Visa, MasterCard, I mean, already you have Cash App and Cash Venmo. Yep. Uh, where, where you could transact with Bitcoin, right? Like, yep. you don't have to use dollar if you don't want to. You could already do it. So if they switch out the rails on uh, on uh, Visa or Amex or, or, you know, like WeChat or, uh, you know, Octopus Card or, uh, you know, M-Pesa or whatever, 
then then it'll just get settled in it and that becomes a unit of account then everything gets priced in that and then you're done um so that is coming but that's probably not for a while until sort of like all of these other currencies kind of go away first uh because that's uh sort of mandated by legal tender laws that a lot of these countries pass which say you have to take this if you're a merchant you have to take the dollar right like uh yep. in the US uh for goods and services and it's not so important in the US but you know in Nigeria if you're a merchant you would much rather take the dollar but yep. you're forced to be able to take the naira uh yep. so it, you know that that kind of makes it kind of sucky for you because the government will inflate and then you know you you have to do all these other transactions in the background or go to go into the black market so that you only accept dollars or uh something else yeah that's there's a lot of good stuff that we've talked about in this podcast with a lot of interesting and different theories that I've I guess I've never really thought about the way just going through the history of how we went from gold to where we are with the fiat system to now trying to go over to the cryptocurrency system or more specifically to bitcoin uh just I've never really heard anybody go through that and put it in such a way that it's easy to understand a lot of the things that you put in and so it's like oh that's why we are where we are right now that makes so much more sense as to why the system we currently have has issues within it that needs to be solved and this is a solution to some of those issues so yeah i appreciate just the whole lesson but i have one more question of, of uh, for you before we get out of here uh one of the things that we talked about early on in the podcast when you talked about your book was your faith and i would like us to dive a little bit into that on just how does your faith play a role with your interaction with bitcoin and just us to talk more about that a little bit before we get out of here Yeah, so this is the book, uh Thank God for Bitcoin: The Creation, Corruption and Redemption of Money. So a lot of what we talked about, including, you know, how money came to be and how uh, it got corrupted and everything else is actually straight from this book. So you can read uh the first couple of chapters and uh it, the first chapter is about okay, what what does money do to society? And uh you know, all of the all of the ways in which it sort of corrupt society like yeah. uh, a common thing that i ask is okay um are you married I, i don't know if you're married no no okay all right all right so if you ask like a newly married couple okay are you thinking about having kids and if they say no you go why the immediate answer that you'll get is because we can't afford it or yeah. you know like something like that right money is sort of like the first concern um in a sense where society that worships money we trust money to do everything for us. Um yeah. the implication of their answer is if we had enough money, then the money would take care of the baby. It isn't about their ability to take care of the baby or you know God's ability to provide for the baby. Yeah. It is about money's ability to provide to for provide the baby. For the In baby. a sense, it reveals who they worship, right? Or what they trust in or what they put their faith in. Yeah. Uh so that's something that we point out over and over again in this book is that the money is uh the current monetary system is evil corrupt and a cesspool of theft and it it puts us in sort of like a monetary stockholm syndrome and if you don't know what that is stockholm syndrome is this uh weird syndrome where uh you know if somebody kidnaps you and you're with them long enough you start you loving start your kidnapper yeah yeah uh you you start loving the very thing that enslaves you essentially yeah. um and it's a monetary stockholm syndrome we've been enslaved by our money for so long that we start loving it in a way that's very unhealthy and that that's uh that's what we go into about you know like how we got to sort of a society that's so materialistic and shallow and high time preference 
and you know like doesn't care about like kids or the future or yeah. building up civilization or making great things and instead it's all about rent seeking and figuring out how i can uh you know extract money from other people and so on so for me uh the way where my faith intersects with bitcoin is very much that there are some serious societal problems that come as a result of the current monetary system that yeah. we're in and i would i would uh i would posit to you that almost everything has some financial component anything evil in the world has some financial component in it yeah and and uh if we can fix the money we can start fixing some of that stuff and a lot of that is systemic you're not going to fix any of that until the money gets fixed because there's this giant honey pot of money that like uh one, one of the things that we point out for example is that everyone wants money out of politics right everyone yeah. wants oh why why is politics you know not about something more pure and why you yeah. know why, why is there so much money well it's because there's this giant pot of money that you can control as soon as you get into you get congress into of course there's going to be money so the solution to getting money out of politics is to get the politics out of money, money. And that's what Bitcoin is. Right now, money is completely political. It is, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve gets to decide who the winners and the losers are. If they say that the housing industry is going to win at the expense of everybody else, like they did in 2008, hey. well, then they're going to get to say that. And you can't do anything about it. They will buy mortgage-backed securities that are toxic, like there is no tomorrow. And all of the bankers that funded all those, like, stupid building projects that no one wanted, well, they, they will be made whole and they'll continue building them whether people need them or not. Um, and at the detriment of all Everybody other aspects else. of the economy that might be wanting to innovate, that might be wanting to create or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and this is why we don't have flying cars, right? Because you're subsidizing <laughs> like the airline industry and the car industry and the you know, uh, you know yeah, college industry. industry and the healthcare industry and all these other things that are just completely entrenched and suck in all of the resources of everybody else. So, um, so for me, you know, Bitcoin is uh, is sound money. It, it brings money back to its original purpose, which is, uh, you know, like like the ancient wisdom is sort of like you know, rich people sort of are supposed to deserve being in that position and that's true if you are a rich person because you provided value to a yeah. lot of people right like if you if if you provided value to other people by creating goods and services that they really wanted then you kind of deserve that money yeah where you don't deserve money is if you're an investment banker that's gambling other people's money and getting 300 million dollars right like yeah. that because you got because you, uh, you got lucky money. and you would have been bailed out if you didn't get lucky anyway so like that that's how money is supposed to be it's supposed to be a measure of the value that you provided everybody else all of civilization and that's where bitcoin i think ultimately leads is is a society where everyone is trying to add value to one another right like this is this is for me what christ said you know love one another right like yeah. love lo love, love your neighbor as yourself, yourself. And, and th this is uh, for me what what entrepreneurship is all about is getting into the mind of the other person right uh like like you you can in your own mind and seeing what do they need yeah. what do they really need and then pricing it properly so that they you get a fair exchange right and then you're providing value to them they're providing value to you and that's how civilization gets built if if, if we're all thinking that way if we're all thinking kind of as like 
pure capitalists, right? Trying to find needs in the market that everyone else wants. Yeah. This is how this is how Rome got built. But you know, if you don't do that, this is how Rome falls. <laughs> this you get a bunch of people that just want to extract rent from other people and want to be lazy and do nothing and uh, and you know like uh, get paid for it, which is essentially the mentality of everybody in bureaucracy everywhere. Um, <laughs> You know, this this is how civilization uh, crumbles, and I would like to see civilization thrive. I would like for us to love one another, uh, serving one another by creating goods and services that we are uniquely situated to do, and get paid for it in a fair way. That that yeah. that's that's really all you can ask from people. And if everyone does that, I think we'd be way better off than this crazy weird system uh, where everyone knows something is wrong but can't quite point their put finger, a finger on it yeah that's a, i think that's one thing that we talk about on the podcast because the precipice of me starting this podcast was the idea i was listening to a radio show and he talked about how people were less willing to give whether it's their money or their time or in any area of their life just because things had gotten a lot harder and then the idea of the podcast was just hey how can i incentivize people to think about to build wealth for themselves and then think that they're safe enough to be able to give of themselves to other people and so that's that was a precipice of it is like how do we get people to start loving other people looking at other people in a in a positive way so yeah that's that's a very good good breakdown of how bitcoin can play a role to us get into hopefully get into that point in time but thank you so much once again, Jimmy, for coming on the podcast. I appreciated all the knowledge that you dropped on us today. It was so much, so much, so much. How can people get to see more from you, get to know you a little bit better, or follow you on your socials? What is a, a place that people can go to connect with you? Yeah, so uh, I have a newsletter on Substack, jimmysong.substack.com. Uh, it's a technical newsletter about all of the happenings in Bitcoin. Um, I also have a podcast, Bitcoin Fixes This, which comes out every Thursday morning. It's uh, available on your pop, uh, you know, in any popular podcast form. I have a YouTube channel, Off Chain with Jimmy Song. Um, that's where I publish my podcast, although I haven't been doing sort of like video content lately. I'll probably start that up again soon. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Jimmy Song, and this, uh, you know, you'll hear me tweet a lot about Bitcoin and uh, a lot of other things too. And of course, my book, uh, my new book is Thank God for Bitcoin, the Creation, Corruption, and Redemption of Money. A lot of things that we talked about, honestly, are right in the book. It's not a very long read. I think it's 115 pages or something like that. And it's very quick, uh, you know, and it's pretty dense material. I wrote it with seven other people after sort of like a Bible study that we did. Uh, based uh, uh, with a bunch uh, with a bunch of Bitcoiners, and we just came together and decided to write this book. Um, it's available on Amazon, on Kindle, and paperback. We will get an audio book out soon. Uh, but yeah, that that's that that's where I am, and hopefully you can follow me. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you once again, Jimmy, for coming on the podcast. Hey guys, I hope y'all learned one maybe two things out of this entire thing which really you should have learned way more than that maybe like three four five six just a number of things because i know i've been educated and i've learned so much just from this conversation but anyway it's being your boy kalechi remember generosity is always greater than greed god bless each and every single one of y'all and i'm out peace <laughs>